Well, if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to the book of Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 2. Uh, you can also, once you get to Exodus chapter 2, you might hold your place in Acts uh, chapter 7, as well as Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we'll be in all three of those books as we look at the life of Moses, and we begin our series today, Led by Fire. Uh, we're going to be kicking off today this, this series, Led by Fire, looking at the life of Moses and the nation of Israel. What's interesting, as Moses comes on the scene, we're going to be looking at the circumstances surrounding his birth and what took place. Uh, we're looking at that today, but Moses comes on the scene in one of the darkest periods in Israel's history. But Moses, God would use Moses to lead the nation of Israel not only to a new land, not only into a new era, but into a new season of God's blessing. And God is going to lead Moses literally by fire. And I believe that this series is so paramount. This series is so vital for you and for me as we navigate, as we begin to emerge out of this post-pandemic era, as we look at the landscape, as we begin to resurface, we realize some things have shifted in the world as we knew it. We, we, we hear rumors about perhaps a financial downturn. We hear rumors of a uh, housing market potentially uh, taking a hit. As we, we look around us, we can lead ourselves to this place where we, we say, man, what is, what is about to happen next? Like I just paid for gas and what in the world is going on? Uh, but yet here's the good news. The same God that led Moses the same God that was with his people, the nation of Israel in the midst of their darkest times and led them into a new era is the same God that desires to lead you, the same God that desires to lead me, the same God that is leading his church. And he desires for us to be people who are led by fire. And while there is still much uncertainty, I am more convinced than ever before that God has always worked upstream from his people. We're gonna see that time and time again throughout the book of Exodus, throughout Moses' life, that God is for his people. It's a good time to remind ourselves that the best days truly are ahead of us. It's a good time to remind ourselves that if God is for us, who can be against us? It's a good reminder for ourselves that God is going to lead us and he desires to lead you in the big decisions as well as the mundane decisions, the small decisions. The, the psalmist wrote this, the, the God, he knows you, he sees you, he delights in the details of your life. I love that verse. God delights in the details of your life. So he's, he's delighting, he sees the details and he wants to lead you in those details. So today we're going to have a bit of an introduction to all the messages. We'll be in this, this study throughout the summer and as we approach the fall. Uh, but today's kind of an introduction to that, kind of a backdrop to give us a foundation that we'll be building on in the weeks ahead. So uh, before we get to Exodus chapter 2, uh, a bit of an introduction. Uh, the people of Israel, we'll call them the Israelites, uh, there's three primary founders of our faith, fathers of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, Jacob, God gives him a new name, Israel. That's where we get the name Israel, uh, the Israelites. Jacob has 12 sons. One of those sons is Joseph. And Joseph is favored by God. God has given Joseph dreams about his future. He shares those dreams with his brothers and his brothers aren't real big on it. Uh, Joseph by, uh, you know, was his dad's favorite. And so they hate him for that. And so the brothers, literally the 12 brothers, 11 brothers get together like, hey, let's kill Joseph. This dude is like a buzzkill. Like we're, we're doing away with Joseph, uh, one of the brothers speaks up and says, no, let's sell him to slavery instead. And so Joseph is sold as a slave to Egypt. 
In Egypt, Joseph serves as a slave to one of Pharaoh's primary officials. One thing that's interesting as you read about the life of Joseph, the hand of God was on him. It says when he was a slave, God's hand, but God was with him. He does a a season in prison, but God was with him. It's a good reminder for you. It's a good reminder for me that even when our circumstances don't look the best, even when our circumstances don't feel the best, it does not mean that God has forsaken you. It does not mean that God has turned his back on you. Just as the hand of the Lord was on Joseph, Joseph, perhaps his hand is on you today and has you right where he wants you to be. Because God's hand is on Joseph's life, he goes from a slave, he goes from a prisoner, and he's raised to prime minister over all of Egypt. As he's serving as prime minister, a severe famine strikes Egypt and the surrounding communities, and Joseph is there, and he has wisdom from God how to navigate uncertain times. And so he calls, an uh, unusual set of circumstances, his brothers come, uh, he forgives them. It's a powerful, powerful reality. Uh, and, and then so Joseph invites his dad, Israel, to move with all of his kids, the Israelites, to now live in Egypt. Joseph avails to make provisions for them. Uh, Pharaoh allows them to have the land of Goshen. The Egyptians viewed nomadic shepherds as like subpar citizens. So they didn't really care about it. They're like, here, take this, this land. It was a great land. That allows them to preserve their faith. It allows them to uh, live life as, uh, while in Egypt, protected by the famine, but yet at the same time to, to maintain their faith, their, the faith in the one true God and not be subject to all of the Egyptians' rules and religions. About a hundred years, so, so they're now in, in Egypt. Uh, there's a, a country that invades. If you like history, this is, this is going somewhere, but hang with me. Uh, there's a country where current day Israel is just north of that called the Haxos. H-Y-K-S-O-S, Haxos. They come and they invade Egypt and they rule in Egypt for 100 years. This allows the nation of Israel to continue to multiply, to increase in number. Uh, However, there was a man that rose up from the Egyptians and formed a revolt against the Haxos and the Egyptians take back their land. Uh, This guy's name was Thutmose III, also known as Thutmose the Great. And the reason that is significant, the reason I tell you all that is because the Haxos were Semitic people. In other words, they were from the same region that, that the Israelites were. You've heard of anti-Semitism, uh, anti-Jewish people. And so, so the Egyptians now hate all Semitic people. And it turns out the Israelites are Semitic people. And so uh, Thutmose III forms this anti-Semitism campaign to like, rid the world of all Semitic people. And so now, here they are in Egypt. They just got invaded by this, this nation to the north. And they were ruling uh, in Egypt for 100 years. Now, Thutmose III is on the throne, and he realizes there's more Semitic people, um, a tribe, the Israelites, that are vast in number. They've been multiplying for, there's 400 years that have gone by up to this point. Now, now it's more than just 12 sons. It's a whole nation. And so Thutmose III sees them as a threat, and so he enslaves them. And they become the labor force of Egypt. They begin to brutalize the Israelites, they begin to kill them, to try to suppress their numbers. But again, the hand of the Lord is on the Israelites. They continue to increase. They continue to grow strong. They continue to multiply. And so, 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 so Pharaoh gives this edict in Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. Uh, Pharaoh gave them this order uh, to all the people. Every boy that is born must be thrown into the Nile River. The Hebrews are getting too strong. You're getting too powerful. You might overthrow us like the previous nation did. We can't allow that. So the boys must die, but the girls can live. 
So with that as a backdrop, let's pick it up in Exodus chapter 2. If you're taking notes, this is where our notes begin. The first point that we're going to see from today's text is that, that people who are led by fire, they value the next generation. People who are led by fire train children spiritually. This is certainly true for parents, uh, but it's true for all of us. We, we need to have a value on the future generation of the church. And one thing I love about Central is we do that. If you know anything about it, I mean, you just saw the camps, you just saw, you see the ministry calendar. A lot of it focuses on the younger generation. And that's because we believe that the next generation, not just the future of the church, they are the church. And the investment that we make in them today will carry on for generations to come. For you as parents, I love this quote from Andy Stanley, and it says this, the greatest contribution to the kingdom may not be something you do, but rather someone you raise. I know it can be long days, I know it can be long nights, but it's a short season. The value, the, the investment you're making in your kids will never, never leave them. One of the statements we've been going through this series, Winning the War in Your Mind, we talk about making declarations to create some new neural pathways in our mind. Uh, one of the declarations I make about my kids, about, about our kids, is, is that, that, that I will love my kids, Cannon, Drake, and Elsie. I'll empower them, I'll equip them, I'll train them to do more for the kingdom of God than I can imagine. My ceiling of impact will be their floor. I believe that. What if we believe that for all of our kids, that, that our ceiling of impact for the kingdom of God would be their starting point, would be their floor. One thing we're going to see from the life of Moses is that, 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 that people who are led by fire, they value the next generation. They train their kids spiritually. So let's pick it up. Exodus chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 1 and 2. Why don't you stand with me? Let's stretch it out a little bit. Uh, stand to your feet. Let's honor God's word. I'm excited. I got a new, new Bible. It's nice and shiny. Uh, I haven't preached for a couple weeks, so I got a new Bible. And I haven't preached for a couple weeks, so might be out of here by 2 o'clock. Uh, <laughs> I hear there's a basketball game. I'll try to get you out before the basketball game tips off. Here it is. Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Uh, now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. Uh, the Levites, uh, that, that's a unique word if you haven't been around church for a while. Levi is one of Israel's 12 sons. Uh, this would be the priestly tribe eventually. Uh, the high priest that serves as high priest over Israel, the nation of Israel, must be from the tribe of Levi. Now Moses' parents are both from the tribe of Levi. History tells us that Moses' dad, his name was Aram. Uh, Moses' mom, her name was Jochebed. And here they are, they have... They have a son. Verse 2, the woman conceived and bore a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. This is the birth of Moses, and this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, Moses is born, but this is not their first child. Uh, Moses' parents have already had two kids prior to this. Uh, he has an older sister named Miriam. She's about 10 years old, scholars tell us, at the time of his birth. He has an older brother as well. Aaron is his name, and he is about three years old at this time. Uh, the Bible says that he was a fine child. The New Living Translation says that they realized, uh, let's go to the New Living Translation, they realized that, that they saw he was a special they saw he was a special boy. Now let's jump to Hebrews chapter 11. And it tells us a little bit about Moses' parents. It says, by faith, when Moses was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents. By faith. This lets us know that Moses' parents are men and women of faith. These are men and women that are hearing from God and they're taking action on it. What we're seeing is God speaking, God directing people to accomplish his plan to carry out his will here on earth. This took great courage on the part of Moses' parents. 
They understood the king's edict that we saw earlier that all boys that are born must be thrown into the Nile River. His sister, 10 years old, she's safe. Aaron, three years old, he's safe. Moses, the edict given from the king was that he must be killed. But Moses' parents are people of faith. They know it's the will of God that Moses should live. They know they should not throw their boy into the Nile River. So at great risk to themselves, by faith, when Moses was born, they hid him for three months. They saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. This is very interesting. Whenever you're a person of faith, Whenever God has given you conviction based on his word, this is what the word of God says. I I know that we should not kill our son, even though the king has said this, they're not walking in fear. They're not afraid of the king's edict because they have conviction that God is with them, that God has spoken to them. And if God has told them to do something, then he must be working upstream from them. He's planning to protect them. God is, is for them. This is Moses, Moses' parents. It's interesting, it says they saw the child was beautiful. We're going to talk about that word in a moment. But, but for all parents, like if you've ever had a, a, a boy, if you ever had a kid, when they're born, you all think they're beautiful, right? Yeah. At least you should. Uh, you should think they're beautiful. Now, obviously, there's some kids that are cuter than others. Arthur, you, he's the cutest, right? Uh, our second child, Drake, whenever he was born, uh, he, I mean, he was beat up. He looked like he had gone 12 rounds in a boxing ring, like his face is bruised, a little bit of disfiguration taking place there. Uh, but we held him, remember, t- we held him, we're like, ah, oh, he's so, what's wrong with this? He's cute though, like he's just cute. <laughs> he's a cute kid. Uh, but because his face was all beat up and bruised, we went to the hospital planning to name him Carter. We were planning to name him Carter. Carter's a great name. If your name's Carter, I think it's an awesome name. Uh, but whenever we saw how we saw how he looked, we were like, oh man, he's did, he just got, he's been like 12 rounds in the octagon. Like, man, like we got to give him a stronger name. So we named him Drake in that moment, literally in the hospital room, right after he was born. We're like, I was like, Tiffany, I think we should call him Drake. Like it's an ancient name for dragon. He needs to be strong. And as uh, Drake. And sure enough, he needed a strong name because just 10 days after Drake was born, they'd have to open up his chest and remove his heart, disconnect all the plumbing, reconnect all the plumbing, put it back, back in his heart. And so he's been Drake ever since. He's been a fighter ever since. He's a strong, he's a strong kid. Yeah, yeah, we're super grateful for that. I say that to say, though, in the midst of bruising, in the midst of being beat up because of the delivery process, he was still my boy. He was still beautiful. I thought he was... I thought he was the, the, the prettiest kid I'd, I'd ever seen. Uh, Hebrews, in the New Living Translation, this is more, probably a more accurate translation, they saw God had given them an unusual child. So it's not just talking about his, his appearance. They're, 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 this could literally be translated, they saw that he was fair in the sight of God. They realized God had given me a gift. God has entrusted to us a child. God's hand is on this child's life. God has plans for this child. God, you wouldn't give us a kid if you didn't have plans and a purpose for his life. Listen, before the foundation of the earth, we believe that God had plans for Moses and we believe that God has plans for you. God has plans for your kids. Listen, you're not by accident. You might have surprised your mom and dad when you showed up, but you didn't surprise God. Before the, the creation of the world, he willed not only you, you to live in this time and space. Listen, he chose you to live in the bay in 2020. So whatever 2022 throws at you, like you're here by design. He willed your creation. He had planned for your salvation. He desires for you to have relationship with him. He desires to lead you 
by fire. That's not just true of Moses. That's true for every single man, woman, boy, and girl. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, Ephesians 2.10 comes right out and he, he says that. He says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Listen, you're created to do good things that make kingdom impact. You're, you're created, you're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. Before you were ever born, God was planning the gifts he would give you. He was planning the location where you would live. He was planning the spiritual gifts that once you surrender your life to Jesus, that he would instill in you and impart to you. You might have surprised a whole lot of people when you arrived, but you didn't surprise God. He has plans. He has purpose. You are a child of destiny, just as Moses was a child of destiny. Now, our job as parents is to understand that reality, just as Moses' parents did. They preserved his life. They realized, no, God has given us a child with, with gifts and talents and abilities. It's our job to try to draw those out. It reminds me of Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, that says, train up a child in the way that, that he should go. Now, this is interesting. It's to train him up in the way that he should go. This is one of the greatest challenges for me as a parent because I want to train him in the way I think he should go. I want to train him in the way that I went. I want him to, 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 to take this path. But God has different paths for my kids. And so one of the, the challenges for me to hold those plans very loosely, to say, God, what, what, what way should he go? Which way should she go? And even when he is older, he will not depart from it. Now, obviously, if you're a godly parent, this is talking about spiritual training, training your kids spiritually. It's assumed that we as, as parents would want to do that for our kids. But beyond that, it's an opportunity for us to recognize the gifts, the talents, the natural abilities that God has given your kids and to, to, to foster those, to help develop those. And I think to one degree or another, it's, it's, an, it's a call for us to say, say, God, what is your purpose for my son or daughter? To get discernment beyond what we can naturally see, to, beyond what we can naturally put our hands on and say, God, what's your plan for their life? To try to discern that to a certain degree and then train them in that path. To speak that into their life. I believe that's what Moses' mom and dad were doing. Moses, you're a child of destiny. God's hand is on your life. Moses, let me tell you about the, the, the miracles surrounding your birth. Train them in the way that they should go. So this is Moses' parents. Exodus chapter 2, verse 2. When they saw that he was a fine child, they hid him for three months. If you've ever had young kids, you know this is a miracle. Like, you don't hide a baby for three months. Like, some of you, like, your kids had crying fits at night. They wouldn't stop crying. Like, you wish you had a Nile River to throw them in. Uh, but, but this is Moses. They're hiding him. Uh, verse 3. Uh, when she could hide him no longer, she took him, uh, took for him a basket uh, made of bulrush, that's reeds, and dabbed it with pitmen, that's tar and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister, check this out, his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river with the young women and walked along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and she sent a servant wo woman to take it. And so she, she took the basket. Now, it, it, just reading this, it seems like, well, they were trying to protect Moses' life, but now they just throw him in the Nile River, but they put him in a basket. I don't think that's what's happening here. I think this is a very strategic plan. I think as Moses' mom and, and dad have been trying to hide him, I think they've been praying, God, how do we preserve his life? God, give us, give us a pathway forward. I know what the king's edict has said, but I know that your plan is not for him to be thrown in the Nile River. God, help us. Give us wisdom from heaven. And I believe that, that, they, that God dropped in, into the parent's heart this plan. And so I think they probably sent Miriam this 10-year-old girl to watch 
uh, Pharaoh's daughter's rhythms. I think they, they, they came up with this plan. I think this, this is all strategic. And so it's just the right time. Moses in this basket would float by Pharaoh's daughter and preserve her life ultimately. Verse 6, when she, that's Pharaoh's daughter, opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. Imagine that. Uh, she took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister, now this is Miriam, 10 years old, said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And so, so, so the girl went and called the child's mom. So Miriam goes and gets her mom and she's standing before Pharaoh's daughter and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me. I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Listen, this is the value of following God's plan. This is the value of being a person that's led by fire in the big decision, in the small decisions. There are times when God calls us to be people of faith and to do things that make zero sense. But if we trust the Lord, if we do what he asks us to do, even when we don't understand, we'll see God do things we could never imagine. And that's Moses' mom. She's now, he was supposed to die. Now she's getting paid to nurse him. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Most scholars say that Moses' mom likely nursed him for two to five years. And so for a conservative number, we can just say that she nursed him probably for three, maybe, maybe as much as four years of age. And while Moses is with his mom for a very short season season. She's not just taking care of his physical needs. She's teaching him about God. She's teaching him about the people of God. She's teaching him principles of faith. And what I want you to notice is it never left him. 36 years later, like a flood, God is going to bring back to remembrance what Moses' mom had instilled in him at the, at the age of 40. He's going to make a spiritual decision that not only impacts his life, but impacts the entire nation. All because of a, a godly mom, a godly dad, praying over their daughter, praying over their son, speaking life into Moses. Developmental psychologists tell us that half of what a child knows at the age of 18, they will have learned in the first three to four years of life. Half of what they know at 18. To that end, can I just say to you parents, can I just say to you grandparents, to you teachers, to you educators, what you are instilling in your kids is of utmost importance. It's impacting their life, whether they acknowledge that or not. And to that end, can I just say, I hope we're not allowing Netflix and you two kids to disciple our kids. I hope we're not just setting them in front of a device and letting them go for hours. I hope you're teaching them lessons of faith. I hope you're teaching them about a God who sees them, a God who knows them. I hope you're implanting into them the stories throughout the ages of how God has shown up on behalf of his people time and time again. I hope you're praying over them. I hope they hear you pray over them. I hope they hear how much you believe in them, how you believe that they are a child of destiny, that God will use them to make an impact in their generation greater than the degree that he did for Moses. It's God's desire for them. It's your role in their life. And if that has not been your reality up to this point, I pray today you would make a decision to make that a reality in your home. Listen, as a church, we do our best to instill this in our kids. 
Uh, but, but let me just say this. We, we tr- one of our strategies is to come alongside you as parents. So we offer uh, questions surrounding our, our kids' curriculum. There's, there's student uh, uh, curriculum that, that we follow. And if you have ever, ever have a question, like Michael's more than available. But let me just say this. At best, we get 52 shots. At best, depending on your attendance rhythms, we get 52 shots. And there's nervous chuckling because you know that's not 52 But listen to me, you have 365 opportunities to instill into your kids the plans God has for their life, to invest in them, to pray over them, to train them in the way that they should go. And it's a high calling, but that is what God has called you to. We can prove it from the life of Moses that what you instill in them, it's not for for nothing. And Moses, again, at the age of 40, all this comes flooding back into his mind. Look at it, uh, next verse Not only did did Moses' mom do her best, but there comes a point where she has to give Moses over. It says, "When, when the child grew, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of water. Now, who, who is Pharaoh's daughter at this time? Uh, there's a lot of debate around the date of the Exodus. Uh, for me, uh, I just think it's pretty simple. In 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 1, when Solomon is dedicating the temple, so we know the date that the temple was dedicated. In 1 Kings chapter 6 verse 1, it says it was 480 years from that date back to the Exodus. And so if we date back 480 years, that lands in the reign of Thutmose III. Thutmose III had a daughter. Her name was Hatshepsut. Uh, that's the best job I can do on that name. Um, <laughs> but she was a queen. She actually ruled over Egypt for a short season. Uh, there's a large mausoleum that archaeologists have learned a whole lot about her. You can see Hatshepsut's statue currently at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. They believe that her mummified body is still on display at Cairo Egyptian Museum. Now Moses is in this lady's care, this, this uh, royalty, this daughter of Pharaoh. And placed into her care, Moses is trained in all the ways of the Egyptians. He's trained in the arts, in the literature, in science, in archaeology, in astrology. He's trained in physics. He's trained in philosophy. He's trained in government. He's trained in all matters of war. And he's trained in how to lead and to lead an army into battle. We get a sense of this from Acts chapter 7, verse 21 through 22. It says, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. So now Moses goes from being born in this house of a slave to now being raised in a palace as Egyptian royalty. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in word and deed. And some of you might be thinking, well, I thought, I was mighty in word and deed. I thought Moses had like this speech impediment. Uh, listen, it's not talking about that he was super eloquent. It's saying that his words carried weight. Moses was a man of influence. When Moses said something, it carried weight. When Moses did something, it carried weight. Moses, mighty in word and deed. Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that Moses was tall and handsome. He tells us that uh, Moses was trained as a son in Pharaoh's household because at the, for a period of time, whenever Moses, uh, Pharaoh's daughter brought Moses into the house, Pharaoh didn't have an heir to the throne. So Pharaoh literally thought that Moses could be the Pharaoh sitting on the throne of Egypt, the world's most powerful country at this time. Josephus also tells us at the age of 30, Moses was a general in the Egyptian army, and he led the Egyptian army in a stunning defeat over the Ethiopians. The Ethiopians vastly outnumbered the Egyptians, but because of Moses' strategy, his military prowess, he led the Egyptians 
in a stunning defeat. So here's Moses. He's an individual with an Ivy League education from the best instructors in Egypt. He's heir to the throne of Pharaoh, the most powerful nation at the time. And he's highly decorated military general. But in the midst of all that, God begins to stir in something in Moses' heart. He's enjoying all the luxuries of Egypt, but God has a different plan for his life. And it reminds us, the second point, if you're taking notes, is this. For people to be led by fire, if we're going to be people who are led by fire, we need to understand that spiritual awakening requires a spiritual decision. The spiritual awakening requires a spiritual decision. If you and I are going to experience a spiritual awakening, if our church is going to experience a spiritual awakening, if our country is going to experience a spiritual awakening, if our city will experience a spiritual awakening, it's going to require some decisions on our part. In other words, as the saying goes, if you always do what you've always done, we're always going to get what we've always gotten. I've been reading this book. It's an interesting book by Mark Sayer. Uh, if you're interested in the current climate of our church, I suggest you pick it up. It's a good one. It's called Reappearing Church, uh, The Hope for Renewal and the Rise of a Post-Christian Culture. Uh, but in that book, Mark Sayer makes this quote. And I've been chewing on this one uh, for weeks. But Mark Sayer makes this statement. He says, revival is when renewal goes viral. Revival is when renewal goes viral. And so some of us have been praying for revival. Revival in our nation, revival in our country, revival in our city, revival in our home, revival in our church. But, but this reminds us that you have a part to play. I have a part to play. In other words, if revival is going to take place, we have to allow God to renew some parts of us that maybe have been dormant for a long time. In other words, it, it requires a decision. Spiritual awakening requires spiritual decision. And so Moses is a man, he's been enjoying all the luxuries and the pleasures of Egypt. He comes to this place where he makes a spiritual decision that not only impacts him, but impacts the whole nation of Israel and generations to come. Here it is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through 26. It says, by faith. Now again, this is by faith. What is, what is faith? Faith is whenever God is speaking and his people are responding. So God is speaking to Moses. Moses responds by faith. When Moses had grown up, he refused to be known as Pharaoh's daughter. Now, moms and dads, just, just for a moment, let this be encouraging to you. If perhaps you've raised your son or daughter to love the Lord, to serve him with their whole hearts, and now it feels like they're a million miles away. Don't think for a moment that what you implanted in them is lying dormant or worse for naught. This is Moses at the age of 40. He was only with his parents for three to four years of their life. He was trained in the culture of the day. He was entrenched in it. But God, what, what, what Moses' parents had implanted in him at the age of 40, it all comes rushing back like a flood. I say that to say this, that, that the words you've spoken to your kids, the, the, the Bible, God's word that you've implanted into them, that you've prayed over them perhaps for years, it will not return void it will accomplish the purpose for which you instilled in them. And let me just say this, some of you, perhaps you are that son or daughter and you know you're not where your parents would want you to be spiritually. You know they raised you to make better decisions and, and live a different life than what you're currently living. Can I just suggest to you that all that can change today, you're one decision away from all that looking very different. Today's the day you can rededicate your life, go back, come, I'm all in again. It's the day you can turn. That's what we learn from the life of Moses. Check this out. By faith, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of, of Pharaoh's daughter. Look at this. He chose. It's a decision. 
This is a moment of decision. Today's a day of decision. You can make a decision. You can change things. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short season. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. It's a moment of decision. How did that happen? We don't know. When did it happen? We do know it was his 40th year of life. So here's Moses. He's turned his back on all the riches and the wealth of Egypt, the prestige, the clout of one of the most, the, the most powerful nation at the time. Now back to Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 says, One day uh, when he had grown, he went out. Now the, the author has given us a clue here. He went out. We're going to see this repeated throughout the book of Exodus. It's a reminder that there's a, a plot twist here. Whenever the nation of Israel is going up out of Egypt, it says they, they went out. In other words, they're turning their back on Egypt. Now this is Moses, and he went out to his people. This is saying that, that Moses, before he ever left Egypt, he had already turned his back on Egypt. He, he made a decision to identify with the people of God. He said he went out to his people. In other words, I'm no longer an Egyptian. I'm identifying with the Hebrew people. I'm identifying with this task force in Egypt. Yes, the Hebrews are treated as slaves. Yes, they are viewed as nothing. Yes, they are viewed as subhuman. But Moses is saying, those are my people. He didn't care about what the Egyptian court said. He didn't care about the wealth. He didn't care about the pleasures he's enjoyed his whole life. He didn't care what Pharaoh himself, the most powerful man on earth at the time, didn't care what he thought. He didn't care what the world thought. He made up his mind, I'm identifying with God's people. This is a major, a major decision. And he looked on their burdens, it says. This is unique because Egyptian royalty never looked on the burdens of slaves. They're very much a caste system. They're up here. They're way, 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 way down here. But he looked on their burdens. He had empathy for them. This is unheard of. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. In other words, he's identifying with the people of God. He's saying, those are my people. Can I just ask to that end, who do you identify with? Are you identifying with the people of God? Or do you identify with more of the pocket? Identify more with maybe where you work, maybe uh, different. Uh, we live in Willow Glen. Who do you identify with? Moses is saying, I, I, these are my people. Those are my people. And it came at a great cost to him. But this is a moment of decision. Acts chapter 7, verse 23. When Moses was 40 years old, there it is. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided. Now I want you to sit on that. Like this is a decision. And so what decision do you need to make? Today, here's what you need to know. No one ever leaves Egypt accidentally. You'll never find freedom accidentally. You'll never become a person that's led by fire accidentally. You never, never stumble into hearing the voice of God. It's a decision. There's some decisions that need to be made to posture ourselves to become the people that God created us to be. Uh, perhaps today, maybe you're far from God. Listen, you're one decision away from all that being different. You can rededicate your life to the Lord today. Maybe you, you've never committed your life to Jesus. Listen, today you can make a decision. You can go all in with him. Perhaps you've been a follower of Jesus. You know that you've been forgiven, but, but you haven't gone public with your faith and gotten baptized. Listen, today's a day you can take the first step of obedience and get baptized. It's a decision. Moses made, made a decision. When he was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. Again, he's identifying with the people of God. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. He went out to his defense to avenge him by killing an Egyptian. 
Moses thought, now this is interesting to me, Moses thought, like his mom had told him for years, Moses, you're a deliverer. Moses, God's got big plans for you. Moses, we're currently living as slaves, but God's going to use you to set God's people free. So Moses, whenever he strikes this Egyptian, he thought people would rally and be like, yeah, Moses, you're the man. He thought his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. Now, this is very interesting and I think very instructive for us. Moses understood God's plan. Moses knew God wanted to set his people free, but Moses missed the win of God and he missed the way of God and it cost him deeply. And that's our final point. To be people that are led by fire, we gotta develop discernment to understand the will of God, the win of God, and the way of God. In other words, the will of God, we need, to, we need really to be led by fire 101. Being people who are led by fire 101 is this. God, what do you want me to do? God, God I'm not, I, just talk to me. I need you to talk to me about, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? And then once you understand what he wants you to do, the next step is to say, God, when do you want me to do that? God, speak to me. When's your timing? And then third, God, how do you want me to do that? What's the way you want me to go about this? Moses understood the will, but he, he moved ahead of God's timing, and he didn't do it in the way God had planned, and he lands in a whole world of hurt. I think a lot of time we do the same, and then we wonder, God, where are you at? God, how'd this happen? But the reality is that, that we took our own initiative. We were on our own timeline. We didn't go about it the way God had wanted us to. And here's what happens for Moses. He misses God's timing. He misses God's way. Verse 12 says he looks this way and that way. In other words, he looks to his right, looks to his left. He's never talking to God about it. He's never looking up. He struck the Egyptian in the sand. Uh, he struck the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, what I want you to notice is this. Uh, in his own timeline, doing mo things Moses' own way, whenever, whenever Moses wanted to do it, he could barely bury one Egyptian soldier, one Egyptian taskmaster. But what I want you to notice is one thing that, that we're going to see about Moses, he's going to flee Egypt. He's going to be in the desert for 40 years. And while he's there, he's learning not only the, the will of God, but he's beginning to understand the win of God, and he's beginning to trust the way of God. And what I want you to notice is 40 years after this incident, when, when Moses could barely bury one Egyptian, God's going to use Moses to wipe out an entire Egyptian army in one day, and Moses doesn't even throw a punch. It's the power of waiting on God. It's being led by fire 101. God, what do you want me to do? When do you want me to do it? God, how do you want me to do it? Whatever you say, that's what I'm going to do. But whenever we miss that, we land in a world of hurt. Here it is in closing, Exodus 2, 13 through 15. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. He said to the man in the wrong, why did you strike your companion? He answered, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill us as you did that Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and he thought, surely the thing is known. Listen, Moses is afraid, not because he killed an Egyptian taskmaster. Remember, Moses is Egyptian royalty. He's a declarated general in the Egyptian army. It would, be, it would be very easy, it would be very common for Moses to get impunity for murdering a, an Egyptian taskmaster. That's not why he's afraid. He's afraid because of the way he did it. 
He did it in such a way that he turned his back on the Egyptians and he identified with the Hebrews. And as a result, he knows Pharaoh is going to come looking for him. Can I just suggest to you, whenever we miss the will of God, when we miss the timing of God, when we miss the way of God, it leads to the same things that Moses experienced, and that is fear, that is failure, that is loneliness. And so it's crucial for you and I to be men and women led by fire. Men and women that say, God, what do you want me to do? When do you want me to do it? How do you want me to go about it? Closing thoughts as we recap. First of all, Train your kids spiritually. I want to say thanks to all the teachers, all the educators, all the parents, all the grandparents that are investing in the younger generation. It's awesome. I want you to know that it's making an impact. I want you to know that while it may look like all hope is lost, perhaps like Moses, at the age of 40, everything that you're instilling in them is going to come back like a flood. And one day they're going to make a decision to say, no, I'm no longer identifying with the people of this world. I'm identifying with God's people. And I'm going to do things in God's way. And I'm going to do things in God's timing. And it'll be because of your investment in their life. To that end, you parents, I just want to invite you to recommit to, to say, man, I'm going to lean in to my kids' spiritual development. I'm going to pray for them. They're going to hear me pray. I'm going to tell them about the great exploits that God has done. For some of you, maybe that's just over a phone. Maybe you don't get to see them face to face, but tell them. Pray for them. Let them know you believe in them. That's what Moses' parents do, and it impacts his life. Second, when we're led by fire, we develop discernment to understand God's will, God's win, and God's way. Some of you people, man, you're so incredibly smart. But I would just say, if you're not careful, you're going to get ahead of God's timing. And just like Moses, that's going to lead you to a desert for 40 years. Don't do it. Have the wherewithal. Perhaps, perhaps you're here just to hear that. Wait on God. Let him, let him speak to you about what he wants you to do. But not only what he wants you to do, when he wants you to do it, and how he wants you to go about it. And then finally, spiritual awakening does require a spiritual decision. The book of Hebrews says over and over again today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. As we're going to see with Pharaoh, God's speaking directly to Pharaoh. And time and time again, Pharaoh hardens his heart. He doesn't do what God's asked him to do. And as a result, I would just say this, that is very dangerous ground. Whenever you feel, feel that God is speaking to you and you ignore it, it becomes harder and harder to discern the voice of God next time. So I would just say this, if God's speaking to you today, about anything. Don't ignore it. Take action on it. Because spiritual awakening requires spiritual decisions, and your decision is to say yes to when God speaks or to say no. But the voice of God does get quieter, I believe, the more and more we say no. For some of you, the best spiritual decision you can make today is say, I'm coming back to God. I've been away, I've been doing things on my own terms, but today I'm putting a stake in the ground saying, God, I'm all in with you. For some of you, maybe that's the first time that you've ever made that decision. Well, I just want you to know that God's not mad at you. He loves you so much. He desires relationship with you. You always know the value of something based on the price someone's willing to pay. So your house might be worth X amount here, but worth another amount somewhere else. That's because your house is only worth what someone's willing to pay. But you just need to know that God values you so much. 
He loves you so much that he was willing to pay with the life of his one and only son. So we celebrate communion when we talk about the cross. It's not just a religious exercise. It's a moment for us to remember what God's done for us. That at great expense to God, he paved a way for you to have a relationship with him. That's why the book of Romans says that, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in, the heart, in your heart that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, and you don't believe it just ended there, but you believe he rose again. If you believe those things and you confess those things, the Bible says that you can be saved. You say, saved from what? Listen, saved from another day of not having God in your life. Saved from another day of not being a man or a woman led by fire. Saved from, from eternity in hell. Yeah, sure, that is honestly a part of it. But it's much more than that. God desires relationship with you. And if he's speaking to you today, don't ignore that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your radical love for us. We thank you, God, that you're a God who speaks. You're not silent. God, sometimes we're just hard of hearing. But God, I believe you're speaking to your people today about a variety of topics. So God, I pray you'd allow courageous faith to well up in their heart and for them to realize that renewal, revival starts with us when we allow you to do a deep work in our hearts. And as that becomes more and more contagious, God, it sweeps over our city, sweeps over our family, sweeps in our homes, sweeps over our schools, sweeps over our country. And God, that's what we need. So God, here we are, your kids. And we're just committing to that process. If you've never committed your life to Jesus, maybe today you need to rededicate your life to him as you continue in a posture of prayer. I would just invite you, if that's you, you wanna experience forgiveness and fresh start, new beginning, then say a prayer like this to God. You just talk to God. We call it prayer, but it's just talking to God. You just tell him, say, God, I realize I've blown it in some areas of my life. God, I realize that my sin is what has separated me from you. And that's why you feel so distant, something I've done. But God, I also realize that you value me. I don't really understand it. I certainly don't feel like I deserve it. But God, you sent your son to pay the penalty for my sin so that while I do feel far away now, God, you can bring me near, not because of anything I can do to earn it, but simply because of what Jesus has done for me. So God, I believe that he paid the penalty for my sin on the cross. I believe he rose again. And God, I believe you're a good God. And so I'm asking you to come take residence in my heart and my life. God, today, I surrender my life to you. Just as you gave your life for me, God, today I give my life to you. I'm gonna do things your way. I'm gonna do things when you say to do it and the way you say to do it. And that's my commitment to you. Well, hey, if you continue, as you continue in a posture of prayer, if that was your commitment to God uh, today, I'd love to pray for you before we get out of here. Uh, so if you would just slip your hand in the air, show God you mean business, show me who I'm praying for. I'd just love to pray for you before we get out of here. And thanks. Thanks, yep, thanks, 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 yep, thanks, thanks. Hands up all over. Jesus, you see my friends here in this room reaching out to you. And God, I thank you that you love them, you value them, you see them. And God, you got plans for them. And God, today is part of that plan. And Jesus, as you've been speaking to their heart, they're responding to you and they're saying, yes, God, I'm all in. So God, I thank you for the faith that you've birthed in their heart. And God, I pray you bring freedom into their life. And God, as we see from Moses, no one leaves Egypt accidentally. So God, would they take intentional steps, make decisions on a daily basis to draw near to you. 
And God, as they do, would you fill them with your spirit? God, would you empower them to do what they could never do on their own? Would you help them in their day-to-day life, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. That's awesome. Let's give it up for those people that committed their lives to Jesus today. That's awesome.